You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, what's up? My name is Sean Siegwin. I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge. Thank you so much for joining us. Whether uh, you're watching with us Sunday morning or Friday night, uh, whether you're watching in your PJs or just hanging out or you dressed up, you know, whatever, for, for this online gathering. But thank you. Thank you for gathering us wherever you are, whenever you are. Um, man, but would, if this is your first time, would you please fill out the connection card? You can find that in the link. Uh, find that link in the description of this video, and uh, and it, maybe if you haven't changed your information and you, and you have a new new information, uh, please go ahead and update that. Go and use that same link and, and fill that out. We want to be able to connect with everybody. Make sure that uh, we we can help you find a place here at Refuge, get connected, and, and learn more about us. Uh, and right now we're diving into this this uh, sermon series in Lent. Uh, we're in this season of Lent as we prepare our hearts for uh, for Easter and thinking about the resurrection. So as we prepare and we work our way that way, we're working through this sermon series. And so uh, I'm, I'm excited to continue this. Let's just go ahead and dive in with the word of prayer and, and I'll get right into the sermon. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you so much for your justice. I pray that you would move us to action today, that we would be reminded of your goodness uh, as, we, as we learn and grow together. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so, I don't know about you, for me, um, I remember, this hasn't happened in, in a while, we just had, we just, you don't even know what I'm talking about. We just had our service, our, our indoor or our outdoor gathering, uh, all together, and uh, and it's been a while since we've done it. And so, like, you get in these rhythms of uh, like you're having to get into this rhythm of like getting the whole family gathered, piled in a car, driving to the place to a place together. Uh, it's something we haven't done in a while. And I'll tell you what, back when we were doing this on a regular basis. Um, it, it was like almost without fail, uh, Sunday morning was a time of stress because we, we were all trying to do something good. We were trying, I was trying to gather our family, Kayla and I were trying to gather our family to worship together, to go to church. We're like, this is a good thing. And yet for some reason, in the process of trying to do this good thing, to worship together, in the process of doing that, uh, we found ourselves being the biggest jerks we've been all week, mean to each other, mean to our kids, I'm, I may be speeding more than normal to get to get to church. I may be cutting people off a bit more. Like we just turn into jerks in this process of attempting uh, to be, you know, to to do do these things that we feel are like our calling to do. And, and you know, something that I, I feel like stands out when I, when I go through things like this is that when Christ likeness is lacking from our religion, our religion becomes empty. When Christ's likeness is, is lacking from our religion, our religion uh, is, is empty. And if you want uh, our message in a tweet today, like the whole message can be summed up in, in this sentence. Pure religion requires justice, and justice requires human and divine action. That's pure religion requires justice, and justice requires human and divine action. And so this is what we're kind of be looking at, this idea of what is religion. Now, I know religion, uh, the word religion has this bad, uh, has, has a, a bad rap, right? Um, people talk about, uh, you know, 
God hates religion. Jesus hates religion. You know, uh, and and the reality is that that we we have taken that word, we've accepted a, a view that is it's just not true. There's there's actually a really healthy view of religion and what religion is. And so we're going to be diving into that a bit today. Um, as we look at our text, we're going to see three things. We're going to see what empty religion looks like. We're going to see what pure religion looks like, and then we're going to look at God's response to both. These are my three points today. Empty religion, pure religion, and God's response. Empty religion, pure religion, and God's response. We're just going to dive right in. Uh, Empty religion. We're in Isaiah 58, verses 5 through 10, uh, and this first point is just verse 5, so we're going to be in verse 5 here. Uh, So, will the fast I choose be like this? A day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes. Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? This is a great description of empty religion. Now, at first you might think, well, how is that empty religion? Like, that sounds like good things. That sounds like you know, they're, they're fasting. They're, they're doing the things that they should be doing. They're denying themselves, bowing their head. There seems to be humility, sackcloth and ashes. So what is it about this that makes it, uh, that makes it empty religion? First of all, I think just a quick definition of religion, um, just religion is the, the practices, the spiritual, the, the practices that we do, the outward gestures, it tends to be these are the things that we do these outward gestures that we do um, to uh, to to seem at least at least look holy it looks like holiness but there's no way of telling unless there's other things in place and so this is what we're looking at now uh, this this idea of empty religion the practices are happening there's there's the sackcloth and ashes that they have that they have that down right they look humble. They're bowing themselves. They look humble. The only thing that actually really, really sounds truly like truly humble is, is, uh, deny, uh, a person to deny himself. But even this word, uh, deny is a word that simply means afflict. Uh, and so there's this sense of like, this is a literal, this isn't like, uh, let go of your own desires and, and do something. No, this is more of like the the actual action of not eating something. So afflict yourself. Don't don't eat food. Put on sackcloth and ashes. Bow down like a reed. Uh, all of these things are outward actions, but there's there's nothing that indicates what's going on in the heart. And the reality is, we know that from verses three and four that even if they were doing these things, there were other things missing. In verses uh, in in verse three, it says. Oh, why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Look, you do as, as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. Verse four, you fast with, con- uh, with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. These people have this desire uh, to... to uh, to get God to do something. There's a selfish motive on the inside that, that is causing them to, to like, let's, let's not eat, let's bow ourselves down, let's look humble, let's put sackcloth and ashes because we want God to do something for us. 
There's, there's multiple reasons that people do this. We, we have selfish motives for the, for the empty religion that we practice on a weekly basis. We have the, uh, the idea of like, man, I just want to look good to someone else. I want someone else to think highly of me because, you know, for whatever reason, I, I want this person or that person to think highly of me. So if I, if I go and I, you know, I, uh, I give to the church or if I, you know, if I go and attend church, if I spend time in prayer, if I, uh, if I don't know if I share all oh, my Bible time this morning, like everybody needs to know about my Bible time this morning. If we're, if we're doing all of these things to, to try to get people to see things, uh, there's a selfish motive to look good to others. But there's other things we might be doing. We, we may just be wanting to feel better about ourselves. We want, may want to just feel better about ourselves, man. Maybe, maybe there's a sense of, of deep guilt, a feeling of like never matching up and real, that recognition that there's something off in us. And so maybe we're trying to work our way into goodness and we know that that's not possible. But, but people do that. And then the, the last thing is manipulating God, which I think this is a big part of what they're doing. Like if if we do this, if we don't, if we stop eating, and if we if we put on the, you know we put on this big humble act, God will do what we want Him to do. We want to be able to control God. All of these are selfish reasons, but we all do these kinds of things with with our own religion, with our own uh, practices. We find ourselves, uh, you know, going how how can I. How can I get out of this situation? Maybe, maybe if I if I fast and pray, or maybe if I uh, maybe if I you know promise to be good, <laughs> you know whatever it is, we 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 offer these these religious things that look re- good on the outside, but really it's just empty religion. Because it doesn't matter how good it looks on the outside, true worship, pure religion, uh, requires more than outward gestures, serving and giving to the church. Uh, praying and fasting, all of these things are, are beautiful things, but they have to have the heart behind them. There has to be something, some substance to, to them. So if fasting and, and religion isn't about just doing the right churchy things, right? Uh, what else is there? There is such a thing as pure religion. There is such a thing as pure religion. We're gonna dive into this, and I think maybe for some people who are like, always think of religion as a bad word, maybe this will kind of uh, mess with you a bit. I don't know, hopefully it helps you to see, uh, to see things a little bit differently. But um, verse six, it says this. Isn't this the fast that I choose? To break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? Fasting isn't about gestures, but it does require some action. It does require you to act a certain way. It it positions you in a place that if you're really truly gonna be fasting as unto the Lord, not an empty fast, not empty religion, if you're really truly gonna be be seeking after God, there's gonna be more to it than just the outward gestures. And in our country, uh, we have two different 
major views on how we need to heal America. Uh, typically, one side says that there are all these systemic problems and the other side says there's all these individualistic problems. Like if, if the individuals would just get their act together on this side, if the, if the systems would just be fixed, and, and there's these two responses to how we heal uh, America. And both of these things are actually needed if we want to, to live in a better country. Um, and what we see here is verses six and seven hit on both of these. It hits on systemic injustice and it hits on personal injustice, individual injustice. Uh, and so we're gonna go, go ahead and look at this. Verse six is... Uh, discussion on systemic injustice. Um, first of all, I should explain what systemic injustice is. Uh, there's a, a, a pastor, he goes by Pastor T, but uh, his name is Taibiti Enyabwile. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Forgive me for butchering that. But uh, he, he was discussing this in this uh, podcast I was listening to recently. Uh, this idea of systemic racism, um, which is really system, a form of systemic injustice. And he mentioned that, that the fact is, even within a system, even if there are a bunch of people who are not racist people, if it has uh, structures that lead to um, a, a certain people group, certain ethnicities, genders, or socioeconomic uh, people groups uh, that are disenfranchised because of the, that's just the outcome of that system, that's systemic injustice. Um, that's systemic racism, and, and that's a form of systemic injustice. And so uh, here we, we are looking in verse 6, we, we begin to see uh, this idea of of really, it's talking about uh, re releasing the oppressed, letting them go free. Um, it, it's talking a, a lot about the, the, their slavery system. And, and the, the obviously, system, a system of slavery is gonna harm a lot of people. And, and as it begins to talk about it, it sounds a lot like Isaiah 61, one through two, which is actually what Jesus quotes in Luke uh, in, in his inaugural address as he stands up and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. He begins to proclaim the year of the Lord, the, the releasing of the captives and these kinds of things. And all of this is, is, is this idea, um, the practicing the year of the Lord uh, was the idea of saying, hey, like these, these people are indentured slaves and we don't want them to remain in this system. We don't want their children to suffer because, uh, because of their parents, uh, their parents, uh, you know, owe, owe a certain amount of money or whatever. So we don't want the children to have to suffer because of the parents' mistakes. And so every 50 years, we're going to release all the slaves, all the indentured servants, and we're going to, we're, we're going to let them go back to where they were. And so there was supposed to be this time that, that re, that fixed everything and set it back straight. And, uh, and it seems like oftentimes Israel did not practice this. Um, and so, there was a system in place, and and ultimately they were they were not uh, they were not uh, they were participating in oppressive versions of this. They were uh, in in the oppression of this through the system, and so they have this systemic injustice. Um, and 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 God is not happy with this. Obviously, uh, God is not happy with the systemic injustice. But he's also he's not just calling out the systemic injustice. In verse seven, he says, you know, like even if you don't think you've part participated in this system, you have this these these personal issues that we've got to deal with. They need to be more intentional about caring for the poor and the homeless. What's in interesting is that it isn't. 
uh, about things that they're doing wrong. It's, he's not saying, oh, these are things that you're doing that are sinful. He's actually saying these are things that you are not doing. Things that you are not doing. So they're doing a lot of these outward actions, these fat, this fasting and doing all the outward religious stuff, uh, but they aren't caring for these people. They la- there's a lack of justice. There's a lack of justice. This is what it's really all about. It's revealing this lack of justice in their hearts. And we're talking about, when we talk about justice, oftentimes people think of justice as like just punishment. But there's also a side to justice that deals with the fact that every human is made in the image of God. And so every human needs to be treated as fellow image bearers. When we see someone suffering, we need to reach down and pick them. We need to be, bear, their, bear their burdens with them. We need to carry people with us. And so the idea of justice extends beyond uh, just punishment to more of like caring for the poor and loving those, loving your neighbor as yourself. The, these ideas are, are wrapped up in this idea of justice as well. And so true worship pours out of us into every area of our life when we have pure religion, when we have pure religion. And this is where the book of James actually becomes really helpful. And this is why I actually use the term pure religion is because James 1.27, James 1.27 says this, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. So he's about to describe pure and undefiled religion to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is why I'm extremely comfortable with the term pure religion. Uh, Because uh, for some, it's become a bad word to use to talk about religion. But but man, we shouldn't be uncomfortable. We shouldn't be uncomfortable with the the language of Scripture. That's just what Scripture calls it: pure and undefiled religion. And it talks. Of, and and these happen to be things uh, that are issues of justice, caring for caring for widows and orphans. These are issues of of justice. Again, keeping oneself unstained from the world. But the point here is that there's there is such a thing as pure religion, and it demands more than spiritual practices. The empty religion that was mentioned uh, in, in Isaiah, the, the fasting and, and all these things, you know. James will go on to talk about uh, not just telling someone, uh, go in peace, you know, go be, be well fed, but then doing nothing. He'll talk about these things and, and he shows that, that your faith has to be accompanied by works. There's this, there's this like action involved, this, this doing justice is part of our faith expression. It's part of our our religion. We can't just do the outward things. And so like in the season of Lent, when we're thinking about fasting and praying and thinking about our own mortality, we should also be going, how, uh, how should this move me to action in the area of, of justice for the poor, justice for the oppressed, justice for the marginalized? What? How can I participate in, in that and, and, and even participate in undoing systemic injustice. What are things that we can do? Because the reality is, again, he, here are things that he's saying they're just not doing. So we're not just talking about people who are actively oppressing, but we're talking about people who haven't taken people into their homes, people who haven't given food or money to people in need. Pure religion will require human justice. It will require our justice towards others. But here's the thing about justice. When we, when we don't work uh, towards justice for all, we find ourselves in a situation deserving of 
punitive justice, the other side of justice that was mentioned earlier, the kind of justice that we think about more often, the kind of justice where we say, well, I'd rather have mercy than justice. You know, I know that I'm guilty. I know that I've sinned. I know what I deserve, right? Um, that kind of justice, because the fact is we've all participated in the injustices. And so because we've participated in injustices, God is going to right those wrongs. He's going, he, he, we are all guilty before him in that way. We realize that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul puts it in Romans. And this is why my third point is going to be looking at God's response to human justice or injustice. So let's dive in. God's response. God's response. Verses 8 through 10. Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time... When you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. If, if you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. This is what they were hoping to receive from their empty religion, from their empty practices but clearly their wickedness is revealed. Something is off there. There is injustice at, at, at play and, and it's not gonna work. True, pure religion is gonna require some justice in their lives. The reality is that we know that, that we don't have what it takes to please God on our own. We, we, none of us do. We've all fallen short. There, there are times when we all participate in oppressive systems and there's nothing we can do about that. Living in this broken world, we're gonna participate in oppressive systems. We're, there are, there's a reality that there are gonna be times when we don't do what we ought to do. We are all gonna fall short. There are times when we're gonna do things we shouldn't be doing. We're all gonna fall short. We have, uh, we have no true righteousness of our own. We have no light of our own to offer this world. I mean, and the reality is we can starve ourselves all we want. We can read our Bible as much as we want and we can pray as much as we want. We can do all the religious things and have the external stuff going on. But without the context of Christ's sacrifice, uh, it all just becomes meaningless gestures. It all becomes empty religion. We need our hearts transformed. That's really what we need if we want to get to this, this last part, this beautiful uh, response of God. But even if we do a bunch of things right, uh, we will still leave things undone. That's just the reality of it. The point uh, in the original context was was that if they were going with, if they were doing everything right, they would have the connection with God they desire. Right. The problem was the same as it is for everyone else uh, that we can't do everything right. Our sin causes us to turn from God regularly. Unfortunately, God desire. I mean, ultimately, God desires for us to turn to him and admit our weakness. That's really the goal. We recognize our weakness, especially as we spend time fasting. A true fast, a healthy, good fast is going to point to the, the, the injustices in our own lives that we need to work on and, turn to, and ways that we can turn to Christ. This is why God becomes human. He comes to fulfill uh, the just requirements of the law and, and he ultimately gives, Jesus gives back to the Father, the Son gives back to the Father what we could not give. The, the gift that, that God deserved, the perfectly lived out life, the perfect reflection of him on this earth. That's what God the Father deserved. 
that, that gift of his entire life. And then even unto death, Jesus gives his whole life to the Father. No greater gift could have been given. This was what God deserved. Jesus makes a payment that we could not pay. God deserved a great gift that none of us could give on our own. We all would fall short in any gift that we give. The justice of God uh, that would have separated us from eternal life and left us with eternal death is met with a payment that none of us could have made on our own. Jesus' death does this for us. And I hope that as we fast or, or practice any religious act, it would be an act of resting in Christ's sacrifice and that it would call us to participate in the justice we were called uh, to bring to this earth. As we, as we place ourselves in Christ, as we trust in Christ more and more and more, uh, th- that we would begin to see the righteousness of Christ poured out upon us. That, that, we would exp- that we experience that as we place our trust in him, that, we, that the light of Christ would shine through us. Not our own light, not our own righteousness, because we have nothing to offer on our own, but God's righteousness and his light as he shines into us and he begins to transform us and change us. What is, is really amazing here is that when we look at these last uh, few verses, we can see Christ in all of this. We can see Christ in every bit of it. It's Christ's light. It's his light appearing like the dawn. It's his righteousness that goes before him, and he is surrounded by God's glory. All of these things could be easily applied to Christ. He doesn't have a heavy yoke, but takes our burdens and gives us his light burdens. Even more poignantly, he truly does offer himself. He truly does offer himself to the hungry and satisfies the afflicted one. I love that that phrase that, that satisfies the afflicted one. That's the same word that was used for denying self. And so earlier we talked, we saw afflicting yourself, um, bowing your head, afflicting yourself. And here we see Jesus uh, giving himself, uh, offering himself for the afflicted one. So instead of affl- afflicting himself to make himself look better, he gives himself for the afflicted one. There's this just beautiful turn of events when we think about the way Christ fulfills this. And, and literally, when, when Jesus is saying, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood uh, remains in me, he's talking about giving himself to the hungry to satisfy the afflicted one. It may sound strange, right? I mean, uh, I'm sure in Jesus' day, it was strange as well. Lots of people turned away when he started talking about eat my flesh, drink my blood. But we know that this is this reference when we begin to think about communion. It's a reference to his death and resurrection, to thinking about the fact that his body was broken open and his blood poured out so that we might receive forgiveness for our sins. He gives himself for us, the afflicted ones. Because the, tru- the truth is that all of us are suffering and all of us are broken and all of us are hungry and needy and poor. The reality is that we are all spiritually, uh, we are all spiritually hungry and, ch- and, and the re- we need Christ. We need him to fill us. And so this idea of communion and, t- and taking the bread and the wine, uh, when we do that, there's this, this uh, not just a remembrance, but a proclamation of the gospel, a proclamation that we have entered into him, that we remain in him. And so this, these, these last few pieces of this verse, we realize that Christ is the one 
who fulfills all justice. He brings justice, dealing with not only the, the uh, justice, the systemic justice, the, uh, the personal justice, he, does, he, he interacts with all of that as he enters into human, human form and, and becomes human, but he also even takes upon himself the, the punishment, uh, the, the punitive side of the justice to where we, know, we no longer will bear that I think it's it's this beautiful thing that he does as he gives his gift to God, and we begin to realize that that in Christ all of this is fulfilled, and it points all of us as we begin to fast and pray and think about this Lent season as we point towards the cross and the resurrection, as we begin to think about these things that we would also begin to think about how we can participate in the justice of God, just as Christ did. How can we we participate in, in the in these things that He's done? Because as we trust in him, his light will shine through us. All of these things become true of us because they're true of him, not because anything in us, not because we're special, not because we've done anything great, but because of who he is and what he's done. We all need a savior because we've all participated in injustice. We've all uh, either done things that are not right or we have uh, not done things that we should have done. I'm gonna close with this. If your, religion, if your religion doesn't include justice, your religion is lacking. Your religion is empty. Pure religion requires justice, and justice requires human and divine action. I pray that we would all uh, remember during this Lenten season uh, that we are not just called to churchy spiritual practices, but uh, that any action connected with Christ's sacrifice becomes a spiritual and pure uh, expression of true, true religion, pure religion. This week, as you spend time in prayer uh, or reading scripture or fasting, would you just look for opportunities to bring justice in every area of your life? Maybe, uh, maybe you feel you're, you've been feeling led to do something about some kind of systemic problem that you, you you've noticed that you need to, you need to participate in in bringing down, uh, and, or maybe it's it's like man, I just have not been caring for the poor. Or maybe uh, you know there's there's been something on your heart that you just have not done, and and God is saying, hey, it's time, it's time. Let this time of fasting remind you of the things that that we've missed, that we've lacked. Don't let it be something that, that becomes empty religion, attempting to gain something from God, to manipulate him or to, to make us feel better about ourselves because the reality is we aren't, we aren't able to do it on our own. We need Christ. We need his sacrifice, his gift, his offering. That is how we find true life. That is how we begin to participate in true justice and pure, and pure religion. Man, I really hope this week that as we begin to think about these things that, that we are moved to action. Not, not just, again, not just doing the practices, but actually moved to action to do something. I'm gonna go ahead and close with a word of prayer and then when, when, uh, when I finish, we'll have a, another song and then we'll come back for the benediction. Let's pray. Father, man, we need so much more than empty religion. Move us to action today. I pray that as we trust in you more and more, that, that we wouldn't be able to look around and see the oppression and the brokenness in our world without being moved to action. 
that, that our fasting and our prayer would really be birthed out of a heart of brokenness for this world because we love you so much. I pray that as we love you more and more and trust in you more and more, you would point our hearts and our, our, our eyes out to those who are hurting and broken so that we might go and do something with our faith. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for challenging us. I pray that we would be moved today and, and begin to act upon your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 